Okay, so I'm going to be preaching this morning. Um, I had no intention of doing that. Most of you guys know we've been traveling for two weeks. And God, I heard something at a conference we were at a little over a week ago, and it's just been replaying in my mind over and over again. And I finally go, okay, God, what are you trying to say? And he said, I'm saying this is the message for Sunday. I said, okay, well, let me write that down. So um, I want to tell you a story that's going to be about something I heard from one of the speakers at the conference when we were in Anaheim in California last weekend. And I normally don't preach other people's points. That's something I don't think I've ever done and probably won't do again. But this, it doesn't make sense if I don't tell the story. So I'm going to tell you a story that's not mine. We were in a session with Sean Boltz. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. Um, You know, we did, most of you guys, a lot of you were here for our um, Translating God class that we did last fall that was incredible of his DVD curriculum. And so he was one of the speakers, and he's a very prophetic, very gifted in words of knowledge in particular person. So he was telling a story about one of his best friends, and I don't remember the person's name, Charles, I think. And um, Charles had been getting prophetic word after prophetic word. He was a musician. He was an excellent musician. He said he was one of those people that could hear a song once and sit down and just play it on the piano perfectly, just one of those brilliant musical minds. And he said everywhere they would go doing ministry together, Charles would get these prophetic words. You're going to be filling stadiums and singing songs of love over them. You're going to be writing music that will be so popular. It will be people's songs at their wedding. All these, you know, crazy prophetic words. And just one after the next, after the next, he kept getting, and he just started getting frustrated. And I don't know about you, if you've ever had the same word given to you more than once or twice, you start going, what are you trying to say, God? What am I missing? So this word kept happening over the span of several years, and yet his music career wasn't changing. Nothing was was coming from it. So he finally said to Sean one day, he said, what am I missing? Can you pray for me? Can we ask the Lord, what am I missing? And Sean said, yeah, let's, let's you know, pray together. Let's see what God says. So he wasn't necessarily asking for another prophetic word. He was just saying, you know, give me a word of wisdom, essentially, of what to do with this. So as they're praying, Sean said, I feel like God is telling me that you know the what you're supposed to do, but do you know the who you're doing it for? And he said, I feel like God is showing me, you know you're supposed to write songs, you're supposed to perform music, but do you know who you're singing to? And he said, God began to unveil this another prophetic word, essentially, where he said, you need to learn to love the people that your message is for so that God can open the door into that calling. I thought, that's a cool story. And then I have not been able to let that go day after day in the last 10 days almost, just been running over in my mind. And God has been consistently saying, the who is the most important part of your destiny. It's not the what you're supposed to do. It's not the how. It's not the what it's going to look like. It's who you're being called to share with, to share the love of God. And so we're going to talk about that. It got me thinking, What would Oklahoma City look like? Because we have a city that's rich in Christian history, right? So there's a lot of people carrying some pretty awesome prophetic words here. What would it look like if we began to transform our minds around this prophetic word away from what this means about me and to what does this mean about them? And so our prayer becomes not, God, make me into this word, but God, break my heart for the ones you're sending me to. And so God began to speak to me and dream with me, Rachel. What would it look like if Oklahoma City was filled with people whose heart was beating for the people, not for their own destiny? 
what would it look like if I valued the people around me so much that I stopped caring about how much caring about how much money was in my bank account? If I'm called to give generously and then it's like, what if I valued that person I'm giving to more than I valued my own needs? What if I valued that person having an encounter with this amazing God more than I valued my own reputation and what people think about me? What would our city look like? What would our state look like? What kinds of things would God be able to do above and beyond, like that Ephesians 3, just above and beyond what we could ask for or even imagine? What kinds of things would that become if we were able to stop looking at the what of our destiny and just one degree over, okay, then who is this for? I know some of you guys know my story. Uh, I like to joke about it that I spent years asking God for a big prophetic word. You know, he had already told me when I was 17 years old, I had a dramatic encounter with God by myself in my car. And he said to me, Rachel, this is what you're going to do. And he said, if you follow me, I will do great things through your life. And it was like, I knew, I knew that I knew that was God. And in that moment, it was just, okay, Lord, whatever you want, you can have for me, you can have from me. And that, and I've never wavered pretty much from that day forward. I've had moments where, you know, you kind of go, everybody questions. I think it's a good thing when we question as we move to a new level of faith. What does this mean? How does this work? But I've never wavered. God said that. And then I got into a culture of more, I was in a Methodist church, so, you know, the spiritual gifts were not something that was practiced. And then I got into a church where it was more charismatic and spiritual gifts happened, and I started seeing people get these words, and I got married to one of them, and you guys know the story, how we would go places and somebody would look in a crowd of 500 or more and go, you in the back, this is what God's going to do for you, and I see, you know, da 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 And I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like another one, you know? And as a woman, I would get excited because I get to be a part of his destiny. But then I would have these moments as a woman and go, but what about me, God? I'm more than just the helpmate of my husband, right? I'm my own person in you too. And so God began to speak to me in that secret place. And he began to tell me, I've made you like this. Look at the Bible. Look at this person's story. He'd say, I've made you like Moses. I've made you to deliver people from captivity. What kind of captivity? Bondage of religion, bondage of, you know, things, strongholds. And I would say, wow, that's amazing. And then I'd go in these places with prophets, and I would go, surely they can see that on my life, right? Like, validate me, validate me, right? And God kept going, oh, that's not going to happen, sweetie. I've already given you the word. And the Lord began to speak to me, and he said, the, my words in your ears is the same words in their mouths. So why do you need both? I'm not saying if you feel this way that you have my same issues, but it began to be this place of, okay, I need healing in my journey of feeling significant before God. I think some of us are hardwired to want significance, and I actually think that's from God. Most of us feel like we need to just squish that, kill it, be delivered from it, whatever, but I think God wants you to know you are significant to him. And so when we have that longing in us, sometimes we can, it's like God wants you to know, hey, I put that there so you and me can have a little thing. But where it gets off track is when we start putting it on display and start saying, can you feed this thing in me where it's actually there for God to feed? Anybody else? Just me? Okay, cool. <laughs> and so, uh, it, I don't know, maybe six or seven, maybe eight years goes by of me wanting these prophetic words from the Lord, and God created this moment for me with my absolute hero in the faith, and he gave me a prophetic word that was so amazing, and there was literally no one there except Grant and my kids. And it was like... I could hear the Holy Spirit laughing. I set this up for you because I am relentless. I am not going to let you let your flesh be validated. You have to trust my words. 
And I'm like, okay, well then shortly after that is when God called us to move cities, to plant this church, to do all the things we're doing now. And I can tell you, if I had not learned to trust his voice in my head, I would be crazy now. All the things we've been through, all the challenges, all the friendships that have come and gone, it would be way too much if I needed to always have a human mouth confirm what God had said to me, right? And this interesting thing happened where God began to show me in the word, the people we look up to the most, Moses, David, Joshua, Caleb, um, Paul, we look up to these people, none of them had a human confirm what God was telling them. So we're in good company if you're like me. right? You're in good company. I'm not minimizing when God calls somebody out. I mean, I love that. It's very helpful. It's gotten me through some hard challenges to go, well, if nothing else, at least Grant has a word. (laughs) I don't feel like that anymore, but in the darkest part of it, it was like, okay, you know. But there's this thing where we look at the calling that Moses had, we'll just use him, and we get so excited about it, and we forget that he was alone on the mountain, so much so that nobody else wanted to even hear what God sent to him. And he's holding these secrets and these mysteries and these amazing revelations in this encounter with the love of God, and nobody wants it, right? So that secret place of you is an important thing. We're not going to talk the whole time about that, but I just wanted to say that. And I also want to say, if you're waiting on a big moment prophetic word, I'm going to give it to you right now, okay? Here it comes. Here's the moment. I'm calling all of you out so no one is excluded. The prophetic word you've been looking for, the destiny you've been looking for, is that you are called to love people like Jesus. And listen, listen, we minimize that because we want our significance to be found in some, you're going to go to the nations and you're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. But at the essence of all of it is that you are called to love like Jesus and you're actually equipped by him with everything you need to do that. It's amazing. Okay, let's dig into why I know this is true. First John 4, 7 through 9. Okay, we're going to read this together. So we're going to put it slide by slide up there. I've highlighted some things. Sorry, I know our projector needs to be recalibrated, so just hang with me. Um, we, I've highlighted some things that I feel like God was highlighting. Now, what I'm doing this morning is I'm putting my pastor hat on so that we can go from here to here together as a body, okay? I don't always preach like this. I don't always try to push your buttons, but this morning I'm trying to push your buttons. So when you feel your button pushed, draw a star or something on your nose so that you can go to God and take care of that thing, okay? Here we go. It says, beloved, guess what? That's you, Right? We are his beloved. Let us unsel- this is the amplified, okay? Let us unselfishly love and seek the best for one another. We could stop there. There's a lot in that, right? But we're going to keep going. Let us love and seek the best for one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves others is born of God. So raise your hand if you've ever loved somebody. You are practicing God's ways. Oh, mind blown. Everybody who loves others is born of God and knows God through personal experience. I highlighted this because, listen, you are designed by God to have personal experiences with him, with his love, with his nature, with the Holy Spirit. That is your birthright. If you have not had that, you need to ask God, give me a personal experience in your love. And if you need another one, ask him. Because that is what we are designed to do, is to not just know God, but experience him. It says, and the one who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not and never did know him. For God is love. He is the originator of love, and it is an enduring attribute of his nature. 
making sure that got up there. Isn't that amazing? It's an enduring attribute of his nature. So if you cannot figure out who God is for you, it's always going to be love, at least. It'll always start with love. It might be more than that, too, in different seasons. But this is the, I love that. He's the originator of love. Okay, next slide. By this, the love of God was displayed in us, in that God has sent his one and only begotten son, the one who is truly unique and the one of his kind, into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that is, the atoning sacrifice and the satisfying offering for our sins, fulfilling God's requirement for justice against sin and placating his wrath. That's a mouthful. Let me sum it up for you. Jesus took care of all your sin, and he also received all the wrath you deserve for your sin. That means there is now no more punishment for you regarding your sin. There are earthly consequences, but from God's perspective to you, there is no more punishment. All right, we're going to get into more of that in a second. Beloved, if God so loved us in this incredible way, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another with unselfish concern, God abides in us, and his love, the love that is his essence, abides in us and is completed and perfected in us. What is that saying? It's saying now we cannot see God, right? I mean, in a physical form, we don't see God. But the way we display his image is when we love like him, that is the image of God. So if we want to be like him, we have to love. When we are not being loving, we are not being like him. It's a pretty black and white thing. By this, we know with confident assurance that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given to us his Holy Spirit, we who are with him in person, this is those that are actually with, that were alive with Jesus, we who are with him in person have seen and testify as eyewitnesses that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. In other words, if you don't believe what I'm saying to you and proclaiming to you, believe that I saw it with my own eyes. This is true and this is real. Verse 15, whoever confesses and acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know by personal observation and experience. There it is again. This is important. We've come to know by personal observation and experience and have believed with deep, consistent faith the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides continually in him. This is the secret to having an open heaven encounter with God. It's love. We talk about it so much that we minimize its significance in our mind. But in its essence, if we will step into the loving nature of God, we step into the abiding presence. And in that place, we are one with him. I know this sounds kind of weird, but are you tracking with how tangible this can be for you? It's amazing. And God abides. We, okay, let me put it this way. In heaven, there is no negativity. It's all been dealt with. There's no complaining because there's provision for everything you could encounter. When we want to complain about something, oh, man, you know, I want to complain that the enemy has been doing this to me or I can't sleep at night or whatever, and I want to complain, I'm only doing that because I'm not looking at God. Because I can't complain to the face of God. That would be me telling him you haven't provided for me when actually he has. 
right? So if we want to abide in God, if we want to be in his presence, then we have to say no to negativity. We have to say no to judgmentalness. We have to say no to complaining. I know, I know for me, I'm working this out, right? I have moments where I catch myself being really judgmental and I have to stop and go, you know what, Lord, that's not you. And I want my mind to be filled with your thoughts. So forgive me. Forgive me for thinking that person should do anything differently. I'm going to give them to you and let you deal with them because you have the resources of all of heaven at your disposal. You could fix that in a moment. And I'm over here just wasting my own energy, making my life worse and worse. Anybody know negativity does not lead to good things? You can follow it down any trail you want. It's going to be bad. It's going to be worse and worse and worse. The only way to get out of a negative cycle is to step into that abiding place of God. And when you catch yourself feeling fleshy, catch yourself and think, oh, somehow I've stepped out of that love, and I need to just step back into it. That's what this is talking about. All right, verse 17. I hope this is as good for you as this is for me. I just love this. In this union and fellowship with him, Love is completed and perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him. Let me just tell you, you can have assurance and boldness to face him even if it's not the day of judgment. He's just so good. Because, excuse me, let me say it this way. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Let's go back to those prophetic promises and declarations and things you're believing for from your own life, right? If I will be as he is, he can be exhibited on the earth. How do I do that? It's love. If I can step into that abiding, loving presence, God, you are the reason why I'm sacrificing in this way. You are the the reason why I'm called to these people to do this or that. So if I'll step into that, he can be in me, I can be transformed into him, and then we can actually do something in the earth. I want to submit to you, I actually think a lot of times the reason why we don't step into those prophetic things God has called us to, those declarations, those words, is because we don't have that love yet. And in God's love for you, he will keep your door closed until you catch what you're supposed to really be doing, until you catch his heart for the who. Why? Because when we get to heaven... We stand before God in the judgment, right? This is in Revelation. And he puts the fire thing down on our big pile of stuff we brought with us, memories, moments, whatever. And it burns up. I'm paraphrasing this dramatically. (laughs) You guys are like, I haven't read that. I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) Okay, thanks. One person read it. Yeah. So it burns up. And what's left is the, the treasures in heaven that Matthew tells us to store up, right? So if I'm storing up treasures and treasures, and I'm doing this, and I'm, I'm called to do this, and so I'm going to step out into that calling. I'm going to break those doors down and make it happen because, that, you know, sometimes our calling is big enough where we can't do that, but some things we can do, right? I'm called to be a communicator, so everybody listen up. Is this thing on? I'm going to tell you what you need to know, right? And so I accumulate all these things, and then I get to heaven, and God burns it, and what's left? Nothing. Because I didn't do it from a place of love. So God, in his love for you, will sometimes keep you behind the gate until you catch this so that you have something eternal at the end. All right, we're going to get to that more in a minute. Okay, um, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. Can I get an amen? If you ever feel dread in the presence of God, it's not God. 
It's not what he wants for you. If you ever feel like this is, life has been going so good, things are going, you know, I'm feeling blessed, I'm, I'm sleeping better, I'm, you know, whatever, feel like I can hear God, and then that little feeling of dread, like, oh, the other shoe's about to fall. If you ever feel that way, you are not listening to God. Because look at this, dread does not exist, but perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear. Because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment, so the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love. That person has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. I love this because here's why. Sometimes we can feel shame, like, oh, I do feel like God's going to punish me or judge me. I do feel that. And we can go, well, something's wrong with me, something, you know, whatever. We can go into the shame route that looks inward. But here, First John is clearly saying, all you need is to grow into a sufficient understanding of God's love. Again, where we could go into the negativity place, what's wrong with me? I just can't do that. Man, you know, I know you say that, but I don't feel that for myself. And just, or we could step back and go, okay, God, all I need is a sufficient understanding of your love. Bring me into that place. We step back into that abiding place. In verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. This is so important. If we first loved God, we're trying to keep him in love with us right? But we are responders to him. In essence, on our good days, on our bad days, we're just responding to his constant love that's been extended towards us. I love that because it just hammers in the point, you cannot earn God's love. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn holiness. It's all the byproduct of stepping into that place. It's good. Let me sum that up for you. We are a new creation in Christ, right? The old man is dead. Okay, when Jesus was on the cross, God supernaturally, this does not make sense to our logical minds, he supernaturally put you on Jesus and crucified you there. So that part of you that's sinful and fleshly is dead and buried. This is the analogy God brought to me. I haven't seen this movie in over a decade, so if it's bad, forgive me. Did any of you see Weekend at Bernie's? You know the movie? The guy dies on their vacation, they freak out, and so they dress him up, they put his sunglasses on him, and they carry him around on their vacation, and they pose him at the restaurant, and they do all this stuff because they don't want to be caught that he's dead. They don't know what to do. This is what we do as believers sometimes. Our old self is crucified, dead, and buried. That's what Romans tells us. But we resurrect it like weekend of Bernie's. Come here, Grant. And we go, don't be dead because I can't hold you in the microphone. But we, this is our new man. This is our dead self. And we go, Lord, I want to worship you, but I get tired. And why can't I keep my arms up? Because I want to worship you. And we hide our spirit behind our dead flesh. And I think God is looking at us and going, what? What are you doing, sweetie? I love you. Just, just come around. Come into my love. It's all good here. Right? The rainbows are dancing. The unicorns are flying. It's amazing here. And we go, but I feel uncomfortable, Lord. I would rather be behind Bernie pretending that the dead man is really me. Guys, we are dead to our sin. There is not one thing in your life that is messed up that God cannot fix right now today. Not one. The reason why it's not fixed yet is because we keep picking Bernie up and putting him back on. And God's like, hey, sweetie, if you'll just leave him in the ground, eventually he will rot and go away, and you will be, li- you'll be free to live glorious. We are designed as a three-part being, right? We are a spirit. That is the eternal part of us that God gave when he 
breathed into Adam. He breathed this eternal spirit. Then he gave us a soul which holds our spirit, which is eternal, to our fleshly body. Then he gave us a body so that we wouldn't be a sci-fi movie. And so we have this physical body. We have this soul, which is part supernatural, part physical. And then we have our spirit, which is all supernatural, right? The three are designed to work together. Here's how they're designed to work. Your spirit leads you, and the soul tells the body to come along. What happened in the fall is, in my opinion, the eyes of the soul were opened. Now the soul wants to commit to compete with the spirit. The soul wants you to go over here and indulge the flesh because it feels good. The spirit wants you to go over here and love God because it feels good and it is eternal, right? And so what we have to do the, with the mind of Christ, we have to tell ourselves, David did this in the Psalms, hey, soul, get out of my way, paraphrasing, right? We have to tell our soul, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. In other words, I'm saying I'm going to let my spirit lead me because that's the part of me that's going to last forever. So when we let our spirit lead us, then we can let go of that dead flesh part. And those burdens, those bondages, that anxiety, the depression, the, all the things that come from the world, and I'm not minimizing it. It's a struggle. And we have to struggle sometimes with our flesh. Actually, I think as Romans tells us, to, the word of God cuts like a sword and pierces, right? Sometimes the struggle is because we need to let our spirit get the sword out and slice off the dead part. And that's not always easy. That sometimes takes years, and I just want to say that for any of you guys that have been struggling. It's not like you just wake up one day, you know, you're on a journey with Jesus. But that is who God is, is that he has given us everything we need. So when we step into negativity, we're stepping into Bernie. When we step into judgmentalness, we're, we're bringing Bernie back up. You guys tracking with me? So how does this work? He is love. We abide in him and we become him, and love comes out. It's really that simple, right? And so if you need a love infusion, this is your morning. All right, we're going to do one more thing, one more chunk of scriptures. Go ahead and put 1 Corinthians 13, 1 up. So here's the deal. This verse, 1 Corinthians 13, is probably one of the most read verses, chapters in the Bible, right? It's at weddings, you know it, but does your heart live it? That's the question. Okay, the question on the table. So let me break it down for you. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, pause. If I started speaking in the language of angels right now, how many of you would get out your phones and video me? That would be pretty incredible. Am I wrong? If we went somewhere and somebody was like speaking and we knew it wasn't speaking in tongues, it was the way angels speak in heaven, we would all be going, Put this guy on, or girl on Sid Roth. Man, they should write a book. Video it, sell it. You could make millions, right? We would get all behind it. And this is what it says. If I speak like that, but have not a love for others growing out of God's love for me, then I have only become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. I love the amplified, just an annoying distraction. But to who? Because here on earth, if I'm speaking in the language of angels, I'm not a distraction to you. I'm your phenomenon. So who finds it a distraction? Let me tell you what God sees when you're speaking amazing things, but you're not loving. This is what heaven hears. I am telling you the mysteries of heaven. It's awful, right? That's how heaven hears. When you are not speaking from a place of love, you're just declaring things you know because you want to do it, but it's not coming from love. That is what God is hearing. It's a distraction. And he's like, oh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, get down there and help her out. Right? Verse 2, 
If I have the gift of prophecy and I speak a new message from God to the people and understand, catch this, all mysteries and I possess all knowledge and if I have all sufficient faith so I can remove mountains, what is that? Some translations say, if I say to this mountain, move, and it moves. Guys, think with me in modern day. If I went to Colorado and told the mountain to move to Grand Canyon, and it did, what would be my life? I would be amazing, right? Everybody would be sharing. My video would go viral. I mean, just think, think about it. This is what he's trying to help you understand. If I could do that, that would be incredible. If I could have all sufficient faith, who would have a need? If I had all knowledge, who would ever wonder? I mean, th these are what he's talking about. He said, and if you had that, that would be, in our earthly minds, the pinnacle of extreme. Sold out conferences day to day to day. But if you have all that, but you don't have love reaching out to others, you know what heaven sees? Nothing. Let's go back to our picture of the, you know, the fire of your, on your life, right? I have done this, let's just say. I'm, that's not my goal in life, but let's just say. I've moved a mountain from there to there, and it was on video. It was, you know, we knew it. And, and I've possessed all these things and whatever. And I get to heaven, and I wasn't loving, but I did it because I had this gifting, and I just worked it to the bone. And I get to heaven, and I've got boatloads and semi-trucks of stuff to be set before Jesus and burned up to see what it becomes, right? And I'm like giddy, excited, man, do you know what I did? That's me on that video moving that mountain over there. This is going to be awesome. And next to me is this sweet little grandma who's worked at 7-Eleven her whole life. And every day she gives a free coffee to the person God puts on her heart. And she prays for them and she blesses them and she's spreading cheer all around. And I can look at her in my fleshly self. I would never do this in real life, but in this analogy. And look and go, what a waste of a life, man. You could have been moving mountains. You could have been doing that. Well, I guess you didn't get a big prophetic word. And the fire goes down on both of our lives, and I'm like giddy waiting for mine, and there's nothing there because I didn't do it from love. And you go over to this sweet grandma, and she has just mountains of gold and treasures and crowns, and she, she just hoists it with all her supernatural power and takes it to Jesus. And she goes, Jesus, thank you for giving me the strength to get up every day and love those people. Here, this all belongs to you. You want to know what the weeping and gnashing of teeth in heaven is? It's this response to that moment. When you realize you missed it. You had everything, but you missed it. This is what I'm saying, that God will keep you back from those doors being opened until you catch this, because he wants you to have an eternal reward. It's not enough for you to have an earthly reward. He wants your reward to be eternal. He wants you to have something in your hand to give to Jesus. That is going to be the best moment. I dream of that moment all the time. I cannot wait. When I'm sacrificing and I'm fed up and I want to quit and I'm tired and I want to just watch TV all day and I, Lord knows the last thing I want to do is whatever I'm called to do. In those days, I go, God, I'm doing this because I want to offer you one more thing. Because you're worth it, Jesus. Even when I don't feel like the people are worth it, you're worth it, Jesus. And if you've been in ministry for any time, that happens. <laughs> Verse 3. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, in other versions it says martyred, but I don't have love, it does me no good at all. Are you guys catching? Whose approval do we want more than anybody? God's right and so when we are doing things that the earth gives approval to but we're not doing it the way God gives approval what does God see oh sweetie you just need more of me 
put that down. It's like the, the man, the rich young ruler, right? And, and he was like, I have all this stuff. And God said, just lay it down. Let me be your prize. And he goes, well, that's too much for me. When we understand that love is the key, we can set aside every prophetic word we've been given. We can set aside every calling. It doesn't matter what it ends up looking like. What it matters is that I feel loved by God in my heart, and I feel the ability to give that out to whoever's in front of me. And God will take care of the rest. Truly, honestly. So I meant it when I said you have a prophetic word to love people. It's for real. That is the highest calling that you can have. All right, so what is love? I'm going to switch in this. This is still verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to switch to the message. And I'm just going to go through a couple of characteristics of what love looks like. We've read these things before, but I really like the way the message gives it. Love never gives up. How many of you are familiar of Jesus telling Peter, 70 times 7, bro? Did you know he was actually referencing a story in Genesis 4.24? There's a man named Lamech who was Cain's son. Cain was obviously very vengeful. We know that. Lamech, there was a story of him, a song, that Lamech, Cain would ask for vengeance. Lamech would get vengeance 70 times 7. That's where this comes from. Lamech was a bloodthirsty person, probably the first one on the earth. And so what Jesus was telling Peter, how many times do you forgive? You forgive as many times as Lamech wants vengeance. That's what he's saying, right? It's not about the number. He was referencing you could be like that and just want vengeance for everything that's ever happened to you, or you could be like me and dole out forgiveness like it's never going to go out of style, you know? I got a million of these. Here, take them. <laughs> love never gives up. It doesn't give up on you. The love of God is not given up on you, no matter where you are in your life. It's not given up on your family. It's not given up on your friends, on the people close to you. Love cares more for others than for itself. This is big. <clears throat> love cares more for that person than your need to win an argument. Love cares more for those, that person's feelings than your need to convince them that your way is right. Sometimes we allow ourselves to get into arguments over stupid things because we want to be justified, right? I'm a justice person. I get it. I was born black and white. I mean, I, it's very hard for me to have moved into the gray of life. But by God's grace, he can teach you how to do that. And, it's been, and it is hard when you're wired like that to go, that is just wrong. Just recognize it's wrong, right? But God's care, love cares more about that person and me not speaking something against their journey then it cares about me being right in that moment. When we come into the kingdom of God and we step into that abiding love, we actually have to let go of our rights. As American citizens, we have lots of rights. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we don't. We don't have a right to be right. We don't have a right to be understood. Jesus modeled that beautifully. We don't have a right to whatever. All our right is to love in Jesus, right? Love does not strut. Oh, I missed one. Love doesn't have, doesn't want what it doesn't have. Gosh, this is so big too. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Why? Because trust in God cancels envy. I don't want what I don't have because I trust that God is taking care of me. And if I don't have it right now, there's a reason. And it would be not beneficial to me. But you can't have that love if you don't have that trust, right? 
Also, you know, sometimes, especially in, in charismatic circles, we we go into conferences like some of us just came from and all these prophetic words are being given out, you know, and we start going, well, I want that. Well, I want that calling. I want that testimony. I want, well, why can't I have that, God? Right? But here we have to step back and go, no, love doesn't want what it doesn't have. And I'm not going to let my frustration, there's a difference between hunger and envy, right? Hunger is given to you by God. God put it in there because he wants you to seek after. It's like that heat-seeking missile in Mario Kart, if you have kids that play Mario. It's like it's going to find you no matter what turn you go. You can lay as many bananas as you want. That red missile is going to find you, right? And that's how the love of God is. That's how when God puts hunger in your heart, it's to help you seek out that thing he's put in there. But what we do is we start going, well, I just want that because it looks cool. Or, you know what I mean? And when we get into that realm, now we're out of the realm of love because love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut on the catwalk or off. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Some of these are self-explanatory. Love doesn't force itself on others. This is big. We have to give people permission to be on their journey. They have free will just like you have free will. And God is the author and perfecter of their faith, just like he is yours. So where I can look and go, man, if you could only just get that revelation, we could really get going here. I don't mean that about you, but, you know, you encounter people that really rub you wrong. You know what I mean? You're like, well, shoot, you just need to. No, that's not love. Love extends permission to them to be where they are. And then love prays that God would meet them. Because maybe the revelation you think they need is actually not the most helpful thing for them. Most of the time, the things that are going on under the surface in people's lives are the big stuff. And what you see and interact with is not. Right? We don't walk around. It's like Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before swine. We don't walk around unveiling the deepest longings and issues of our heart. That would be weird. And so even if somebody is really vulnerable, don't assume they're being totally vulnerable about what's the key issue they're dealing with. But love goes, I'm giving you permission to be on that journey. You know, I can think to myself, maybe I wouldn't do it that way, but Lord, bless them. And if that's the what you're doing, do it all the way. If you're blessing them in a, in a denomination that defies my understanding, do it, God, and fan the flame in them. You see what I'm saying? That's love. Love isn't always me first, and it doesn't fly off the handle. Self-control goes hand in hand. All right, last part. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. This kind of goes along with what I was just saying, we measure obedience, excuse me, we measure success in the kingdom, not by how we're doing amongst everybody in the room, but by obedience, surrender, devotion, passion. None of these things are actually visible. They're not. They're things you know and you can gauge with Holy Spirit. I can't always gauge that about you. I might have an indicator from time to time. But only God really knows. My daughter was telling me a few uh, weeks ago, we were talking about worship. And she said, well, I don't think I'm a very good worshiper. And I said, why? She said, well, I'm not like the loudest people in the room. And she's six. She was six at the time. Now she's seven. And I thought to myself, that is so weird. How could you think that? And then I realized she was missing that God is looking at your heart, not how, you're dem- how demonstrative you're being on the outside. Some of us are more passionate people in, by nature. Not passionate for Jesus. Passionate like you know, oh my gosh, it's a new shirt, right? Some of us are more demonstrative people. I talk with my hands when I'm telling a story. You're going to know I love interpretive dance. It's my favorite thing to do with my kids. It's how I am, right? Natalie knows. She's a great dancer. 
But some of us are not like that. Some of us are more quiet. So we can't gauge how anybody is worshiping because only God can do that. And sometimes the most loudest person in the room is actually a banging symbol to God because their heart's not in the right place. You see what I'm saying? So these things that actually measure how you're doing are hidden. They're not hidden to you, but they're hidden to other people. So when we don't keep score of the sins of others and we don't force ourselves on other people, all of these things are saying recognize that you have a right to be who you are on your journey where you are today. Doesn't mean I don't conflict. Doesn't mean I don't try to talk things out or whatnot. But do you see what I'm saying? All right. Doesn't revel when others grovel. I want to kind of get through these a little quicker. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Guys, truth can hurt, right? But it does lead to breakthrough. It puts up with anything. All I want to say about this is boundaries are important. Put Love putting up with anything does not mean letting toxic people rule your life. But it means that we give grace to the seasons in and out. Um, trust God. It, love trusts God always. It always looks for the best. I've been hammering this all morning. But be like Jesus. Get his perspective. Let go of negativity. Let go of judgment. Let go of complaining because he has everything we need. And when you begin to always look for the best, life gets so much better. It really does. Peace comes so much easier. I've been practicing this a lot in my travels the last two weeks, um, especially some of our encounters in Washington, D.C. with a lot of people and and just, you know, the stress of people who are not like you and aren't very nice. And um, I was thinking to myself a couple of different times, wow, I really just want to roll my eyes at this person. You know, like, how could you do that? That's so ridiculous. And then I have to step back and go, God, your perspective, your perspective. This is a person on their own vacation too, right? His perspective always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. (sighs) Let me ask you a couple questions. This is just for you and your heart. So again, what would it look like in your home if you embraced love like this? What would it look like in our city? What would it look like at your job? What would it look like if the place that felt like the never-ending breaking point and stronghold actually was the place of your greatest breakthrough? And what would it look like if you genuinely felt that you had everything you need in the Lord? Because that's what's available to you. I was asking God this morning, how do you want to end this time together? And I felt like he said, oh, I want to do a baptism of love. And I said, okay, that sounds great. So that's what we're going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in you, but this is what I do know. If you will come to the Lord, step into that place of presence. You can do it standing, kneeling, sitting, however you want to. And ask him to meet you, guaranteed he will meet with you. Whether you feel something dramatic or not is not the issue, right? He will. He will speak to you. He'll direct you to a podcast you need to listen to. He'll direct you to a scripture. He'll give you a vision, whatever. He'll give you a tangible feeling of his presence. I'm not sure, but what we're going to do is turn the lights down, and um, if you don't mind, Grant, and I'm just going to leave this area open here because what I feel like God is saying is specifically for any of us that have been frustrated trying to get to that place of that open door, right? The prophetic word, and how do I make that happen? Am I supposed to wait for another 30 years? Oh, that got dark. Or... uh, (laughs) Or not, right? And if that's if you're coming from that perspective, I want you to bring that thing to the Lord and go, God, I need your heart for my who. And if you don't feel like you have that, then come to the Lord and go, God, I need your heart for me. 
because that's where it starts. We love him because he first loved us. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to move this out of the way. And then um, if you want to stay in your seat, you're welcome to do that. Or you can come up here, and we're just going to take a few minutes just to, to let that baptism of love come and touch us. So, oh, Father, we love you so much. I love you so much. And, Lord, you love us more than, than we could even receive. And so this morning, I'm asking for this baptism of love that's on your heart to bring to us. I'm asking that every person in this room would feel your presence right now. We release the Holy Spirit and the ministering angels to come in this room and, and, and do what's in your heart to get done this morning. 